chapter 2 and verse 12. Um, the words should be up behind me, but they may be slightly different. Mine's the older NIV version. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12 through to 3 verse 6. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are a smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Bear with me. That's not me setting aside the Bible, by the way. (laughs) Just in case you're worried, I've got it written down here. (laughs) So please do have your uh, Bibles open in front of you. Um, you uh, hopefully will need it. Now, uh, last week, uh, Adrian came to speak to us, and he spoke to us about the vision for this church for the coming year. Do you remember? Do you remember what he said? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's how you leave an impact. (laughs) Let me remind you, basically Adrian gave us a simple message. Do you remember we had that wonderful picture of a tree? But the message was quite simple, it was this. Well, it was something like this. Do the simple stuff. Keep doing the simple stuff you're doing, that we're doing, but do it well. 
do the basics, but do them as well as we can do them. There's one or two little bits and pieces that we might do as well, but let's get the simple things right. Let's keep working on those disciplines of Christian living, both individually and corporately. And when we do that, we will see growth because it's the Lord that makes the growth happen. So focus on the basics. Do them right and we will see growth. Is that sum it up? So you could have done five minutes last week. <laughs> didn't, need to be, didn't need the half an hour you took. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> because you could probably say the same for me tonight. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, this week and we're going to be doing it for um, a couple of, uh, for, well, for about two months. Um, and the theme that we're looking at over these uh, next few weeks is the do's and the do nots of being good news in our community. The do's and the do nots of being good news in our community. Now, it's highly unlikely over the coming weeks that uh, we're going to talk about anything from the front here that is new to you. It's not going to be new, groundbreaking teaching that you've never heard before. It's going to be old stuff. It's going to be stuff that you know and you know well. So why are we talking about it at all? Well, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because sometimes we need to be reminded of those things that we know well. And we need to be encouraged to keep doing them. Reminded of those things that we know are good to do and encouraged to keep doing them. And more than that, it's good to be reassured that these things that we know we should be doing, the way we should be living, the sort of things we should be investing our time in, the way we use our resources and our time and our energies and all the gifts God's given us. It's good to know that it's not just a good idea or a good moral code to live by, but actually we do it because God has requested that we live this way. It's the way that he has given us to live. And everything we talk about will come straight out of the Bible, about how we should live, how we should spend our time, how we should do what we do. It's good to know that we don't just do it because it feels right, but because we know it's right, because God has given us direction. And it gives us confidence. It gives us confidence in what we do because we know that it's God who is working through us. And his work through us can make a difference in the world. So we can have faith that God will be changing lives through us as we live for him. Now let's have a look at this passage for tonight. Now in this passage, Paul uses two analogies. The first one is that of a Roman triumphal entry. And the second is, is one of a letter, a letter that's written. But the first one, this uh, Roman triumphal entry, a, a, a triumphal procession. These were things that happened in Rome. And they happened when a, uh, a general, a great general, had won a, a battle, a big battle. It was uh, very rare that these things happened, but they were to celebrate great victories. And what would happen is the, uh, the general would come through Rome on the streets, riding on a chariot. And behind him would come his whole army. And behind that would come all the captives 
from the nations that he had defeated in war. And then all the spoils of the war, everything that he had captured, would come through with him. So you can imagine it would be quite a procession. And as the procession goes by, there's trumpets blowing so everyone knows what's going on. And there's incense being burnt so that the smell of it goes everywhere. And this is to celebrate the general who had won a great victory. Now you may uh, know or you may not know, um, in in Roman times, when, when Rome went to war, the way they conquered was not to go to nations and completely wipe them out. That would happen if the nation was in uh, defiance and would not submit to Roman authority. But if a nation, once it was defeated, then submitted to the, the Roman rule, that nation would be swallowed up into the Roman Empire. They would Essentially, that nation would become part of the kingdom of Rome. And those captives who were uh, then swallowed up into it would actually become citizens of the empire themselves. And so the empire grew and grew in power, but people who were defeated actually became part of it. There were some, though, who would uh, stand against it, would not want to be uh, accepted into the empire, and eventually they would be utterly destroyed. Well, Paul is using this picture of the triumphal procession of a Roman general, one that would have been familiar to his readers, But instead of a Roman general whose uh, procession he talks about, it's the procession of Christ. And he paints this picture of Christ being this uh, conquering general at the front of this procession, walking through the streets of Rome, but actually the streets of the world, celebrating his victory. And what is Christ's victory? Well, Christ's victory is his death and his resurrection, his victory over death itself. And those who follow, those who are now captive members of his new kingdom, those who have accepted his way, those who are walking behind him, which is many of us here today, captured from the old kingdom of death, are now brought into Christ's new kingdom of life. And as the, the, the Roman general's uh, procession would have had this incense that burns, so Christ's procession has the incense, the aroma of Christ's victory. And what is this aroma of Christ? Well, it is that knowledge of him everywhere that knowledge of his victory, of his victory over death, his death and his resurrection. And those of us who have been captured into that new kingdom are the ones who are spreading this aroma. What's that smell? What's that smell? That you will hear if you come to my house. You'll hear a little voice saying, what's that smell? And it happens sometimes in the mornings. Sometimes it happens over dinner. Sometimes it happens just seemingly normal parts of the day. Nothing seems to be going on. And all of a sudden, what's that smell? As my son Archie realizes he smelt something. 
Now, the thing we know when we hear that noise is that Archie has smelt something. But the thing we don't know is what he's smelt. Or indeed, whether what he's smelt is good or bad. That's the truth of it. We don't know. Because his response to any smell is exactly the same, regardless of whether it's a nice smell or it's a bad smell. I must say, for those who don't know, my son's three years old, so he's still developing these things. And so then we ask him, well, is it a good smell, Archie, or is it a bad smell? And his response will be one of two things. He'll either say, good smell, good, I think. Or he'll say, stinky, oh, stinky. And then we can work out what it is he's smelling. So if he's sat down for lunch and he says, it's good smell, it's it's because your food smells nice, Archie, so eat it up. And, uh, and if it's a bad smell, then it might need, I mean we need to change a nappy or something along those lines. It's either a good smell or it's a bad smell, and he'll let us know what it is. And some smells are very strong and not very nice. It's true to say, if you come to our house, you will definitely smell some smells at some points in the day which are very strong and not very nice. We have a lot of dirty nappies in our house, and now we've got two children eating solid food, um, I, I can just say, you guys who are, who are younger, who, who don't have kids of your own, you don't quite yet realise how much your parents love you. Because <laughs> as soon as you've had to change a nappy and realise that your parents did that for you every single day and often more than once a day, you'll realise the depths of their love are far deeper than anything you could realise. But a nappy, it stinks out the house, let me tell you. There's no getting away from that smell. Even if you're up in your bedroom and he's down in the front room, you know if he's done a poo in his nappy, you can smell it. It pervades everywhere. Some smells are like that. That's kind of like what this incense would have been. As the the, the Roman procession came through town, there is no way that you could hide from this smell. You might be able to lock yourself behind a door so you don't see the procession. You might be able to put your fingers in your ears so you can't hear the noise, but you would know that the procession was happening because of the smell. The incense would have got everywhere. And it would have got into your clothes, and you would have been smelling it for days afterwards. There is no way that you could avoid this aroma. The aroma of the victory of this general. Couldn't avoid it. And in the same way, Christ's aroma is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. And just as some smells are bad and some smells are good, there are some smells that although they may be good, people don't like. Let me give you some examples. Strong cheese. Now, if I were to ask you, put your hand up in this room, who likes the smell of strong cheese? Yeah, some people like the smell of, like the strong cheese. It's a good smell. But actually, I bet there's just as many people, if not more people in this room, who dislike the smell of strong cheese. Maybe the smell of sprouts. We just had Christmas. Well, the aroma of Christ is a good smell, but there are people who will not receive it as a good smell. For them, it will be bad. And Paul actually says, he says, for some, it brings life. But for others, for those who refuse to accept it, 
it brings death. You see, either you accept Jesus' victory and you are brought into the kingdom of life, or you reject Jesus' victory and you remain in the kingdom of death. Let me tell you, there is no life, no life to be found outside the death and resurrection of Christ. And those who are living now and refuse to accept Jesus' death and resurrection for themselves, refuse to be brought into that kingdom of God, that kingdom of life, or they are dead even though they live. There is no life outside of Christ. And so this this fragrance of Christ, either it means life to you or it means death to you. Same as that general's victory. If you're willing to accept his rule, you lived. You became part of his kingdom. But if you rejected it, then it only meant death. Jesus' victory is no different. Either we accept it or we reject it. But you can't ignore it. You cannot ignore it. There is no life outside of him. And as I said earlier, and as Paul makes clear, we are the ones who spread that fragrance of Christ, who spread that fragrance of Christ as we go. That fragrance of Christ, that life of Christ has so permeated us, has so taken over our lives when we accept him, that when we go out into the world, we carry that fragrance with us. Wherever we go, when we go to work, when we go to the pub, Wherever we go, whatever we do, we carry that fragrance of Christ with us. We are the ones who spread this knowledge of who Christ is. Now, over the coming weeks, we're going to talk about, uh, more about how we spread the good news of Christ to the world around us. But here, it's important to note, not the how, but the why. Paul deals with our motivation Deals with that in verse 17, if you look up there on the screen or in your Bibles in front of you. Why should we spread the good news? Well, we don't do it for our own personal gain. We don't do it for profit, and this is important. You know, there are some churches out there, and Adrian mentioned them last week. There are some churches out there, and they will tell you that if you live in a certain way, if you follow the commandments of God, and if you serve him, then you will be financially and materially rewarded in this life. They will tell you that. And actually, that's the reason why you should do it. You want to be rich in this life, well, worship God, praise God, serve God, and you will have the earthly riches you desire. Actually, Paul flips it round. He says, on the contrary. See, we speak before God with sincerity as those who are sent by God. You see, the truth is that if you know Christ, you have already received every blessing imaginable. There is nothing else that you can receive that will add to the worth that you already have in your life. You are full. You are full of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the gifts of God 
absolutely full to the brim. Material wealth can add nothing to what you already possess. So having received what we have received from God, we now serve him as part of his kingdom. We serve because we are sent, not because we earn. We're not earning. We're doing it because we have already been given life. We are part of this kingdom. The fragrance of Christ is in us, and we share it because we can do nothing else. Let's have a look at this second picture there in uh, chapter 3. Picture of a letter. Paul uses this analogy, uh, and he talks about the church being a letter from Christ. A letter from Christ to the world. And he's saying this because he wants to uh, encourage the, uh, the church in Corinth there. He wants to encourage them because the work of uh, spreading the good news about Christ is hard, isn't it? It's daunting. I don't know about you, but if I were to say to you tonight, or if one of you were to say to me even, tomorrow, I want you, the first person you meet, I want you to talk to them about Jesus. Well, I know I wouldn't get much sleep if I knew I had to do that. I'd be worried. I'd be worried about what am I going to say, who's it going to be, what if it's a complete stranger, or even worse, what if it's someone I know really well and I've never spoken to them about Jesus before. It's a worrying thing, isn't it? It's scary. Now, there's probably one or two people in this room who think, actually, oh, that's really exciting, and you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. But actually, for many of us, it's a difficult thing to think, I've got to talk about Jesus. I've got to persuade this person that Jesus is real. I've got to make this person think I'm not crazy. So Paul is writing this to encourage uh, the church. And he says this. You see, you're a letter, but actually, you're not the writing on that letter. You're simply the page. And written on the page of your life is ink, which is the Holy Spirit. So the ink which is on your life, that which forms the words, is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who has written on our lives the good news of who Christ is, the good news that this world needs to hear. And what is the message that is written in the ink of the Holy Spirit on our lives? Well, it's simply this, that our lives have been transformed. The message that is written on my life by the Holy Spirit is the change that has happened in me because of the work of Christ in me. That's the message that I have to share with the world. The message that I have been brought out of the kingdom of death and I'm now part of the kingdom of life. The message that my future and indeed my present was entirely hopeless and would be entirely fruitless and would be entirely pointless. But now it is full of hope, full of potential, full of wonder full of power, 
because of what Jesus has done. His death and resurrection for me has changed me. That's what's written in my life. And you know, if you know Jesus, if you know Christ, the same story is written on your life, how Jesus has brought you from death into life. And it's written there in the ink of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that has transformed you from death to life. This is the message we have to share with the world. So it's not my clever words or my interesting arguments that win people for Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit sharing this news that lives can be transformed, that you can be brought from death to life, and you can trust it because, look, it's happened to me. And Paul goes on, he goes even further to say this, that we can have such confidence through Christ before God because it's not about our competence. We have confidence through Christ because it's not about anything we can do or anything that we have done in and of ourselves. No, it is about the competence of God working through us. God is able to do it. I am not able to do it on my own. I cannot transform anyone's life and I cannot transform a world. But God is able to, and he is able to do it through me. So when we meet people in the street, or our work colleagues, or our friends in the pub, wherever we are, whatever we do, it's not us that's going to change their lives. It's Christ working through us. His aroma spreading out good news of his victory that he has defeated death when he rose again. And that letter, that he's done that for me. He's done it for me, he's done it in my life. He can do it in yours. So let's be encouraged as we uh, look over the coming weeks about the how. We're going to look at some of the how. Let's be encouraged that it's not us who are doing it on our own. It's that God has first done it in us already, and through us he will do it in the world. Amen.